0: Hey, so I'm hoping that you don't have plans for Sunday, November 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, because Aaron and I are hosting functional approaches to evaluation and treatments of pediatric feeding disorders for 0.4 ASHA CEUs we are inviting some of our favorite colleagues to come join us. We have an occupational therapist, a registered dietitian, and the guru behind the only truly transitional food on the market. And after three solid hours of delightful live Q&A, we're going to do an hour jam packed full of functional case studies from the beginning to the end how we could all work together into professionally and what additional uh, professions we would pull in to assist with the case. So please come join us. For more information, be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com. And I am so looking forward to taking your live Q&A on Sunday, November 8th. So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed, plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the numbers 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyDD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Culvetown, South Carolina.
1: So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels
0: and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. In today's episode, Ways to Make Your SLP Voice Heard, Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, soon-to-be CLC her and I cover different ways you can advocate and engage for your patient's behalf, for your profession, starting out in your college years, transitioning to early career and tackling tasks locally and at a state level, and then moving on to the big picture of embracing change at a national level. So we kind of walk you through, uh, potential career trajectory to embrace leadership. And the biggest takeaway was that advocacy and leadership is a lifelong learning process. So enjoy the travels and thanks for joining us today. Regardless of who you voted for, I hope you voted this month because truly the only way to affect change is to make your voice heard. And the actions that are required to get your voice heard make me think long and hard about our voice as an SLP. Y'all, I know you've read the scary Facebook pages for SLP where folks say, what has ASHA done for me? Or folks gripe about their productivity level or where folks complain about the reimbursement rate. Y'all, I have been there and griped and fussed and moaned and complained too. But then I did some research put in an application and I'm humbled and proud to say that I took part in Ash's leadership development program. I was one of 30 applicants from across the nation to apply and be accepted into the 2017 LDP cohort. And I'll tell you the truth. It fundamentally changed me. I learned my leadership style. It's pace setting, which translates into my little ADD ADHD self needing to like hardcore pump the brakes and slow down every once in a while. And it taught me the value of establishing buy-in from stakeholders and actually recognizing who those stakeholders are amongst all of the other things. But I think one of my biggest takeaways that I learned was that a lot of the issues we are challenged with on a day-to-day basis actually require change locally for which ASHA can only serve as a guide. ASHA has national level lobbyists and they take on big, big changes, big challenges, federal laws and policies. But let me be perfectly clear. You, the you sitting and squirming uncomfortably in your car seat, um, car seat, (laughs) in your car, on your exercise bike, you are ASHA. It's your vote for the ASHA board, your engagement with ASHA PACT and your engagement with your state association advocacy team. That's where our change happens. So as my daddy has said my entire life, with one breath, you can fuss about a problem, but with your next breath, put your big girl britches on and go fix that. Um, That's kind of the G-rated version of what my dad said, but at the core, if you can raise awareness about the situation, then be part of the solution. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're gonna discuss how to make your speech language pathologist voice heard. Ta-da! Hi
2: Erin, how you doing, lady? I am fantastic. Uh, you're you're with your peeps, right? I'm with my family. Nice.
0: Okay, and, and and how is the weather? Is has the hurricane has
2: Etta passed? Are you guys all doing okay? Um, it's open. been it's it's not supposed to be as rainy as we originally thought, which is good because I plan to lay by the pool, but we shall see. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little jealous. I'm getting to watch dog lay on the bed that I have not made. But the bed I sheets were vitamin, which they say <laughs> is supposed to protect you from COVID. So that's why I'm laying by the pool oh. for everyone's health.
0: Everyone's health. I appreciate health. you working on your tan oh, to welcome. protect us from COVID. Thank you're you. Okay. All right. So we're, so today you and I are tackling this in three different realms, how we can affect change while we are still an SLP to be, how we can affect change locally um, and at a state level, and then how we can work to make our voice heard and affect change nationally. So um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's our goal. But um uh, let's, let's start with college because that's like, you know, the root of it. Um, did, were you a member of Nishla when you were in college?
2: Um, yes, I was an undergrad. I was a member. And then in grad school, I was, um, what was I? Philanthropy, whatever that, uh, f- fundraising. Philanthrop- I forget what the exact title was, but, um. I was in charge of like the fundraising and events and stuff like that. Beautiful.
0: Okay. Well, I was in a member in undergrad and grad, but I was not really an active participant. Um, work, I always worked a lot and that kind of prohibited my active participant, but I did show up and they gave out free pizza. So, um, folks to start with, Uh, if you want to engage in having your voice heard, I would highly recommend that if you are in school, uh, join your local Nishla chapter. Uh, but one word of advice, there's a difference between your university Nishla and national Nishla Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and for, and it's two different dues, but national Nishla gives you access to all the research and the journal articles and there is a very awesome discount if you've been a national nicholine member for a set period of time and then go to apply for your ashes C's. uh so the the discount alone yeah. what was it like 150 bucks or something like that at
2: uh, least it was, yeah it
0: was, yeah that was that was a good steep one okay so Long gone are the days of when I was a Nishla member and we sat around and ate pizza and did a little bit of like fundraising. There's the Nishla now is tackling big projects and big changes. Um, And within a Nishla board, there's different um, levels of participation and leadership that you can take in there. And that's a really good way to, you know, build your voice. I mean, Yes. Okay. So on your board, when you were um, philanthropic chair, who were the other board members that you were chapter, chapter,
2: Um, President, vice president, and how we did it was um, president would be a second year and okay. vice president and everyone else were first years. So like when you were, you were vice president as a first year, you were president the next year. Um, secretary, treasurer, and then like we had a social chair for, that planned a lot of other events. Um, and when <laughs> I was,
0: I'm sorry, I'm thinking Gamecock football tailgating
2: events, honestly. <laughs> for social oh chair, way, but that's just irritated. probably um, yes. Yeah. There's a time and a but then when we were in <laughs> I remember in undergrad, like they did monitor your participation. So it was like if you attended this many events and participated in this way you were at this level um and that kind of that was a a motivator especially for most of us were applying to grad school so um it I mean the events were great and that you learned a lot and they were um beneficial but having that other I mean let's face it when we're in undergrad we are kind of looking for things to boost our resume so that was um Mm -hmm very helpful and it in we'd go to initial meetings, and then the graduate students would be there, so uh we got to see their presentations and learn from them and participate in in things to get us more connected to the to the graduate students, which was nice uh we uh
0: our Nishla chapter won an award over at Francis Marion. Um, and I can't remember what the, it, what. forgive me, I don't remember the technical title, but it was because of all their local volunteer work that they did. And that mm-hmm. was pre-COVID. Um, but uh, we have set up, uh, and it will start February 1st of next year, um, we're setting up a transgender voice support group. Uh, under the guidance of one of our faculty members because her specialty is voice. And we're also setting up an aphasia support group. And, you know, it, we're only it's only our third year of having a program, but it's our Nishla um, uh, philanthropy chair, who's our one of our second-year students, is setting up the aphasia group, and she's working with one of our first-year students to set up the transgender voice support group, which I thought was really a great way of tying into like our mission statement of giving back to the community and, and supporting those locally. Cause there's not that, I mean, Florence is still small and that's a great opportunity to take on a leadership role. So if you are there in your community and you see like, Hey, we have a need, there's a, there's a deficit with this population. That's a really awesome opportunity to, Uh, reach out, talk to your, your uh, clinic coordinator, talk to one of your faculty members and try to set that up. Um, because you can have a positive impact and support lives that way. Mm -hmm. So now wait, okay. So I made the mistake of using
1: (laughs) your graduate student resume,
0: uh, as an example for a resume. Um, I gotta tell you lady, um, my graduate student resume did not look like yours. (laughs) I didn't I didn't have all the cool things that you had on yours, but you did a boatload of research when you were coming along and participated in in a lot of different research opportunities. So, can you talk to us about that and how that helps giving
2: voice and leadership later on? Well, I kind of got lucky because I needed a um a graduate assistantship. And mm-hmm. we were really lucky because Dr. Fredrickson, who is super well-known in aphasia research, um, worked at USC and he was starting up this huge study. I think he got like millions of dollars. Yeah, 11, I don't know exactly. It's like 11 um, million or something. Yeah. And so I was one of the first students that was put on that research study. And I did that for both all, both years. So like 10 hours of research a week. Um which I mean, as you all know, adults aren't, isn't my thing, but it was really, really cool to see just research in general and like learn more about aphasia. And they did have aphasia um, support groups. And I got to work on some of the research studies as far as like administering some of the tests. And um, it, they were really great about not just having us kind of be like, work courses and do all of the data but get to see why we were doing it and participate in other aspects of the research so that was really cool um, and then USC uh, as a part of our program we were also part of another research study so I worked on on orthography which also is not quite my thing but that was- I don't even know what that is. Um, Spelling. What is orthog? Spelling? Yeah. Did I say it wrong? Yeah, that's literally-
0: No, I thought you said smelling for a second. And I was like, wait, what? No, spelling. Yeah, I can't do that. That's-, that's um, Yeah. I um,
2: So our- <laughs> Yeah. So, which, it, I mean, it, there is a lot of the rules- um, Dr. Oppel, who was his research study will tell you that the rules make sense, even though at first they definitely don't make sense. Um, so it, it was cool for me to get out of my comfort zone as far as research and because I could then more focus on like understanding the process of it and thinking through the research and, it was nice to have, I got to present my research, um, via poster board and, uh, it was, there were definitely a lot of opportunities in there and some programs are more research based than others, but all of them have to have a certain number of doctoral students to master students. So they should have research that if you, if you try hard enough, like you can, you can be involved in it. And I think, a lot of professors are eager to have people work with them who are invested in research and and it is nice because i was listening to a podcast with Dr. Leslie who's from Pitt and she's from Europe and i think you and i have talked about this before and she discusses a lot how in England there's less of a boundary or miscommunication between the research world and the clinical world Yes. And I think we do definitely have that we get frustrated as clinicians because there's all this research that comes out but we can't really implement it in the way that it was shown to be effective in the research study because we don't see kids at school for an hour a day every day or there we're not we don't have all the tools that they have or the resources and so it's nice when you get involved in research because you can better understand that it's so slow moving like research takes what is it I think you talked about this before when something comes out in the medical field it takes years and years and years and years before it actually Mm. gets put into place like clinically really or for people to more widespread know about it
0: it's called implementation science and um one of my um I'm I'm making her my friend, but she's my coworker, but I like, she doesn't know that I'm like making her my friend, but I'm making her my friend. Um, Dr. Rebecca Wada, that's her study of research is implementation science. And she talks about how it can take like six to nine years to make something happen that like to be, to go from research into practice, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's years. That's, That's that you've missed an entire kid's childhood.
2: Mm -hmm. Or you also Mm -hmm. will see like you go into a research study looking for one thing and then that has no statistical significance, but you ended up finding something completely different. But you I mean, you wouldn't know that unless you went were a part of the research and understand all of that and how difficult, though, it is to be able to because we need evidence, even I studied psychology and sometimes you read these studies and you're like, this is common sense that someone (laughs) would be like, when attraction studies or studies about relationships, sometimes you read them, you're like, this is common sense, but you do need evidence to support things. So regardless, the research is incredibly valuable because, but again, when we talk about pediatric feeding disorders and you, I think it's important to be involved in research to understand how difficult it is to have a research study with validity and reliability and to prove things, um, that we may already know and that we may not already know, but it's important. And I, I mean, I went to Pitt for undergrad and, and they're a huge research university. So I think that was, um, big for me and that I already kind of knew the importance of that because they really emphasized that throughout my undergrad career. I did research in psych. Um, so I had that background, but I think it's, it, it it can seem scary, but it's important to try and get involved in some aspect.
0: Yep. Dog, dog growling in an agreement. Yes. Um, poor FedEx man must be trying to get here. Bless his heart. Um, no um that's something that's something that I have yet to professionally do is engage in a research project. I know we have great ideas for doing it, but yeah. actually having had the opportunity, that's I would Y'all, if you have the opportunity for research, may I suggest, can somebody out there please do a research study on alternating the temperature of food and liquids and seeing how altered presentations warmer and cooler, if that alerts um, and increases overall quality and safety of PO intake, as well as volume of um, PO intake for our individuals that have different neurogenic components and variables there's there's my there's my research spiel so somebody please do that be be a voice for us (laughs) okay all right is there anything else that when you think of in um grad school or undergrad you think of as a leadership opportunity a way to make your voice heard and participate
2: um I mean we talked about support groups Mm Mm-hmm. That and, it, and, like you said, if you're if if there's something that the nice thing about grad school is that they have, in, and I hate to say it in this way, but you have to think about resources. There's a lot more resources for clinics in grad school to be able to start programs because they have the resources from the university. And so, mm-hmm. um, if you do have an idea of some sort of support group, I would recommend like talking about it, whether it be with your clinical instructor or someone that you just I know there were clinical instructors that I connected with more than others and there would be ones that I would have conversations with about ideas um, and so if there's something that you are noticing that that is more prevalent in your clinic that could result in a support group we had aphasia support groups. Um, I know that in, even I think about in your practicum, uh, one of our friends is doing a a laryngectomy support group. And that's that's through her, that's through her placement. So it, it never hurts to, Michelle and I suffer from I don't know what I would call it, but when we see too something, many ideas and not enough time. Too many, well, yeah, and we can't not say something. So it's don't be afraid to say something. And I think that your clinical supervisors will value the fact that you're taking initiative because we all have ideas and we all see things differently. And I had some of the best conversations with some of my clinical supervisors when it was about something that I wanted to change or a frustration I had, or some, just talk things through. You don't have to have the answer. You, I think that in and of itself is a leadership opportunity to have conversations with your supervisors about what you're thinking. Their job is to help you. So I, I mean, I wouldn't always come up with a solution. I'd be like, I don't understand what to do with this kid, but this is my thought process. And that can be very helpful. And they may suggest a support group project. They may suggest an idea. They may give you no suggestions, but it it takes leadership to step up and raise awareness, even if it's just with one patient.
0: Okay. So my big takeaway for the students at that level is that this is your safe space to learn and grow and how to be an emergent leader, right? Mm -hmm. And by taking those actions you're starting that process. And okay. So Aaron knows this, but my husband is, um, Christian went to West Point and he will not talk about it. He just, he doesn't put it out there, but I put it out there because I am freaking proud of him. Right. And he has mentored me that leadership and making your voice heard doesn't happen overnight. That it's, a perpetual lifelong learning process. You never really hit the aha I'm done growing moment. You just continually learn. And that's because I have never seen so many leadership textbooks, books and supports as that man has. And he's also a huge fan of Brené Brown, and I love that. <laughs> so like get you a mate that loves them some Brené Brown and then uses that to fill your cup. But yes. Okay, all right. So then how do you bridge, how do you bridge the gap from taking the emergent leadership roles and leadership roles with at, at a student level, and then carry that over to, hey, you've graduated, you're wrapping up your CF or you're in your CF and you want to take the next step. So, um, Aaron, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a good question. Would, <laughs> that's a very good question. <laughs> we one um, don't take on everything. One really good tip: don't yeah. take don't say yes to every opportunity that's given to you because you can't do it all and do it all well. There's a time and a place for everything. And trust me because I have tried to do it the other way, and you feel broken and incomplete when you try to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. so yep. Well, as and- the gray-haired lady.
2: No, I have recently been suffering from that, and I follow something. Um, they send you emails every day just about, um, not necessarily inspirational quotes, but just like little daily reminders, I guess you might call them. And, um, it's one... a daily
0: stoic, mm hmm. don't, yeah, yes, my yes.
2: dad's very into stoicism, um, but. It talks about like one day I was having a a rough day and they talk about having white space and success isn't necessarily determined by having all of these things going on in your life, but by being able to say no and having some white space um, mm-hmm. to think and process and, and like we always say, you have to be, you have to take care of yourself or you can't really take care of your patients. So first lesson, don't take on too much because it's harder to say no after you say yes than to say no in the first place as well. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. But
2: I'm, I mean, I'm kind of starting out in this aspect. I mean, it's been two and a half years. I guess that's all decent. I always think I'm like, I'm just new. I just started, but it's been two and a half years. Um, I ways that, I've kind of looked to getting involved is doing, you know, small leadership and volunteer work with feeding matters. So finding organizations that you're really passionate about that can help your patients that serve your families and putting in your time and investing in that can be a really great way.
0: And, and, One thing that I have to stress here, leadership roles are not, you don't do it for monetary gain. That's, that's, and this is, and leadership roles and volunteer work, don't go at it to make it a resume builder. I mean, we are called to build each other up and support each other. And all the volunteer activities it truly is tithing of your time and Mm -hmm. money and all the other things but um being a good human that you need that oh that's a heck of a phone do you (laughs) (laughs) You are definitely going to enjoy that sunshine later today, lady. (laughs) Also, I don't think I've heard like a landline phone in years. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So tiny, tiny, tiny soapbox done. Okay. But yes, Feeding Matters, we're huge proponents of Feeding Matters. Also, on that note, come join us on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time because we're having a virtual table for Feeding Matters and uh we'll um answer HIPAA compliant questions, troubleshoot cases. Uh it's free to sign up. Yes, we would love it if you could make a donation to Feeding Matters, but I personally know families that have won those or received this um scholarships that Feeding Matter um has created. And those scholarships go towards helping to offset um medical expenses or travel expenses. Um, say you're going from one state to like a major children's hospital, like I don't know, Cincinnati Children's Hospital to meet with their world renowned EOE specialist. They help fund grand adventures towards healing like that. So, um, okay, what other um what other ways can we make our SLP voice heard at a state level?
2: Um I guess well, state level or
0: local or level locally.
2: um i would say if you are ever ready on um, state association like their call for papers if you if you feel that there's something that you would like to present or talk about at a state convention
0: um, call for papers is misleading because when I first saw the call for papers, I thought it was like literally like they wanted us to propose like a paper. I didn't realize no, that that was, takes, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's the technical term for um, like doing a presentation. And mm-hmm. so here's the deal. What is the one aspect of your job that's driving you the most batty? Is it your caseload versus your workload? Is it the lack of interprofessional practice? Not that I'm complaining about certain things that are driving me crazy right now. Is it um, lack of understanding for um, by the pediatrician's behalf that PFD is truly a standalone diagnosis and as of October 1st, 2021, it will have its own ICD-10 code and this is not behavioral feeding disorders. Wow. <gasps> okay, so then take that frustration and put in a call for papers for a presentation, not just to your own state association. But y'all, this is where we have to reach out. We can't fuss about the physicians not knowing about this diagnosis if we haven't put in a call for papers for their their venue, their outlet, mm-hmm. for um, that we haven't submitted an article for their quarterly newsletter publication. Yes, there's our colleagues that will read the research that go every single year to conventions and t- and are engaged. You're not going to reach the ones that don't feel that they need to learn further, but the ones that are ready to hear the message, you can, you can change the outcome of their patients through education. Right.
2: Well, and I think I'm doing in-services or finding yes. ways to connect with the other professionals that you're working with. Because mm-hmm. um, I do, I am a big proponent that it takes individual conversations to an individual relationships to really impact someone's perception and the way that they see their patients or make referrals or whatever it is that You're wanting to change. I remember when I was at the hospital, I would get really frustrated because a lot of the therapists that I worked with would say yes to physicians a lot, even if it was something that they disagreed with, be it feeding kids that it wasn't necessarily appropriate based on their respiratory status, but they, you know, they said that this is what the physician wants and they're, and I would get really frustrated and they would say, well, we did in services and we tried to make change. And I said, but you continue to say yes to things that you don't feel are appropriate. What I would have done instead is explain to that individual physician, resident, nurse practitioner, whoever they are, this is why I don't feel it's appropriate to feed this child at this time. Because how many in-services do you go to that you don't fully pay attention to? And it's less personal. So they need to have that continued conversation and understanding. And you need to explain to them why, because every time that you go feed that child that you don't feel is appropriate, you're telling them yes. Yes. And yep. so I, I think the in-services are really important, but what I think is most important from the in-services is to have those individual conversations because then you get to face-to-face with them. I can't tell you how many times I try to call a physician's office and I just keep talking to the nurse and the nurses are great, but I need to talk to that physician. So if you do an in-service or you have a presentation somewhere, then you can have that conversation with that physician, they know who you are, you get their contact information, and then you don't have to keep playing phone tag. And that in itself in and of itself can help your patients. Um but that's leadership too, to take that extra step and not just deal with the status quo of continuing to talk to the nurse and having your concerns not conveyed in the way that you would want them to be conveyed. Uh things like that I think can be helpful.
0: I I've had to make numerous phone calls. I mean, and repeated phone calls, mm-hmm. and continuing to send over um, plan of cares. My favorite is when you call and they're like, "Oh, well, we never got your plan of care," and then you fax it again, but with the cover sheet that you received. Yeah, like you know when you make a fax and it's got like the date, time, and that it was it was a yeah. successful transition.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I'll send that in there and say, "Okay, well, this was sent. This was sent. This was sent. This was sent,", this was sent. and on repeat and I, I try to crush it with kindness every once in a while. My um, tolerance for um, poor collaboration comes through. (laughs) Is that nicely Mm -hmm. stated? Mm -hmm. But I try really, really hard to crush it with kindness. But at the end of the day, I have found that by letting my frustrations come through occasionally has assisted because when I let the physician know that I am incredibly frustrated and the child is at a standstill because there truly is something else going on and that we have to make the referral, sometimes just venting and letting them know, look, something's got to give because, or the kid will, um, that helps um and I know that sounds weird but it really it really does no they so. need to
2: realize that you that you care and that you're not just calling to to bother them but I yep. do think you will find patterns and mm-hmm. the frustration can come from when you work with the same physician that That keeps doing the same thing or keeps telling your patients that things are behavioral or, and at some point, I mean, you have to just have the conversation and be like, this is, this is what I'm seeing. This is why I don't agree with this. This is where I'm coming from. And as Michelle would say, have a come to Jesus conversation with them. (laughs) And... It's not always going to be pretty. I mean, you've taught me too, and this is really, really, really hard to learn as a new clinician in that not every patient, you're not going to be right for every patient, and you're not going to be right for every physician. Right for every physician, it's the same way you plant the seed, but you can't always control who your patients see, and so you might continue to get stuck with them, but I have found that even if they don't like you, They'll respect you. And sometimes you can get more from people when they respect you as opposed to if they like you. So mm-hmm. I th- that's really important. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So one of the reasons we love feeding matters and we recommend that you volunteer with them is because they have pamphlets and brochures that were created by interprofessional practice partners, um, GIs, developmental PEDs, PEDs, ENTs. And as well as OTPT and speech. And I have found that collaborating with those using the resources created from other alphabet soup laden Mm -hmm. positions of authority, it can it makes the seed germinate, for lack of a better phrase. So. When you do your in-services, when you do your outreach, when you physically go knock on doors, because it will take that, that's how you drive change locally. That's how you get your voice heard. And I do bring cookies. Well, pre-COVID, I bring co- bring co- bring brought bring. Oh my gosh. I'm an adult. Um, I (laughs) brought cookies. Um, now I buy Krispy Kreme donuts because they have the little thing on the box. You did that. You just brought Krispy Kreme donuts and a whole bunch of stuff. You did that like what Mm -hmm. a month ago, two months ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. But that's, that's, that's what we do. Okay. All right. So also submitting articles, it doesn't take long to write up a little article about what's going on and having it some, um, making a submission for your local newspaper. Um, the local school district has a parent support group for the entire school district. I need to do better, but I need to write a brief article about, um, state of services as pertains to AAC devices and communication bill of rights and why AAC needs to start from the get-go but they're going to give that to the parents that me taking 30 minutes to write a brief three paragraph filled with resources and then having that go out to parents if that changes one kid's trajectory then that's changed one kid's stars Mm -hmm. and and if I can't do that every week. I can't do that all the time. But if you have that little break to write that little article, that could help. Um, Okay, so to circle back around to state leadership activities, a lot of people think engaging at a state level, you have to go straight into a board position. And every single state has a different policy procedural manual. And what's the other one called, Erin? Policy procedures and um, bylaws? bylaws. Thank you. That's the other one. Um, but it outlines how your state association board is structured and the tenure of time, as well as embeds within it various ad hoc committees, Um, volunteer um, ad hoc means it's brought together for a brief period of time and then dissolves. But some state associations have ongoing volunteer committees. And then some state associations, especially larger states like California, they even have um, uh, leadership development programs within the state. And they have like regional support meetings, right? And that's amazing. So if you are at that transitional period in your career, whether that be going from like a CF to your C's or transitioning because your children have gone back to school and you have more time and you you're ready, or it's just the right season in your life. If you don't want to jump into a board position, because boards take time, you can't get on a board and just expect it just to be fluff and look good on your resume. If you're on that state association board, then you have to deal and advocate for your members. You are accountable to the needs of your members and the needs of your field in that state, right? Mm -hmm. Because the SLPs and audiologists that are not current members, it is your state association's actions that will pull membership in because they'll say, wow, they're doing something great. I want to be involved in that, right? Um, Right. Like uh, Georgia did something a couple years ago where the CFs weren't allowed to bill Medicaid, but it was through a lot of advocacy that that um, ruling, I think, got reversed. I mean, that makes me want to join Georgia, right? I mean, well, if I lived in Georgia, love you, Georgia, but um, not impact Dawson budget at Christmas when ASHA dues are due because that's a lot of money. (laughs) But Um, shout out to his sister state. So I would, I would look at maybe tiptoeing in the water and joining like an ad hoc committee that is just there to review scholarship applications. That doesn't take much time or maybe participating in, um, a convention planning committee, um, because those are intense. Those require, uh, an army of, um, uh, of colleagues to actually pull a convention off, even if it's virtual. And and having that, um, having th- the amount of volunteers to see it successful is absolutely invaluable. and And you do, you build friendships. And one of the things I love about that is when you're volunteering at a state association, you get to see how the different individuals working in different settings across your state actually overlap and connect. Those of us in the world of private practice, EI, we don't always get to talk to our school SLP colleagues to find out the frustrations. We just send the kid off, but you may meet a colleague who's doing a really great outreach at capturing more AI kiddos that are being lost in that transition between part C and part B. And you can help foster that relationship and then affect change by raising your leadership voice in other areas. So being open to that. All right now, one of, the, one of the ones that has um, been on my heart lately is what happens when you're done with having volunteered? On your state association, like that season of my life has passed, and I am grateful for the time, and I am ecstatic that I am no longer doing it. (laughs) But (laughs) I've done that, but I still feel like I have a lot to give at a state level, and so there's other options available, like serving on a special education committee. Um, mm-hmm. Volunteering with your state early intervention system, serving within D- Department of Ed. I wouldn't want to do that. But um, we have—I know a colleague that's done that, and or even I have—I know a couple colleagues that have served on the LLR board. Wouldn't want to do that, but there are those that do. Um, labor and licensing right. boards, those the ones that issue. Yeah. Um, but there's, if you want to take a leadership role, there's other options at a state level that you may not have originally thought of. Right. Um, yep. Okay. So what are, what are their thoughts at a state or local level before we go on to national? Have I missed? what have I missed? What have I forgotten?
2: Um supervising. Oh duh! Yes.
0: Yes. Supervision is key. Y'all we we are at a critical need for clinical supervision, especially in the time of COVID. And if you are working virtually, you can have students participate in virtual supervision and conduct therapy. And honestly, that's, my career is not that long. I know how different, I know how different it feels today than how different it felt five years ago. But one of the things I am most proud of is watching the students that I supervised over the last several years grow out and find their own voices and their own muchness and watching them affect change because they've all learned how to advocate. Mm -hmm. And I am so freaking proud of that. And so when you're a clinical supervisor, yes, you're changing and you're molding their clinical skills, but it's so much more than that. You're helping shape the next generation of leaders. And not that I've already planned on some of y'all going out and joining ASHA and being future ASHA presidents or anything, but like, you know, put good in the universe. But we, we need that. No pressure, Erin. But like, we need that. <laughs> So you got really quiet there, friend. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So
2: national level, what do you think, lady? Um, done. Done. I mean, that's a little intimidating for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, in the next twenty years, you got this. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. Um, um yes. Yeah. I think well we I guess we you think national and that sounds a little bit scary, but like there's a lot of organizations that you can volunteer for that are more on the national level
1: mm-hmm. um
2: as far as like and I think it's important to I think especially at the beginning, you can get caught up in wanting to do all the things and You have to kind of sit back and think about what is not the most valuable, but like what is the most important. I've recently been like making lists of goals. It's not just about you, but you have to realize that in saying yes to one thing, that may also be saying no to something else without you knowing. So I've been kind of trying to figure out what is most important to me and what, where the path that I want to go is. But there's SIT, you can volunteer for a SIG, you can get involved with other organizations. I've been diving into the neurodevelopmental treatment, um, those types of classes and reaching out to therapists that have that certification. And I have a really strong, um, passion for, like, pediatric stroke, cerebral palsy, or, like, anything neuro, and so I don't necessarily know where those leadership opportunities are to give you guys exact advice on it, but I think look outside the box, too, at times, um, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, um, so we had, um, oh my gosh, beautiful redhead from Texas. I can see her face. We did a drugs and dysphagia talk in December. Um, Lisa, why can I not think of her name? It will come to me. She's from Texas. Um, uh, she is a, um, a fellow, but she's a fellow of a interprofessional practice association. And that actually exists. And there's an international voice association that's for, yes, it's for SLPs, but it's also for um, uh, uh, classically trained voice individuals. Like if you want to sing in a choir, this is not my thing. I can sing in a shower and row, row, row your boat. And that's about that. But uh, Mm -hmm. they have leadership opportunities within. And there's the international stuttering association there's smile train there's there's cleft palate teams there's and we're not saying you have to go be the president of all these associations we're saying if you have a concern and you want to participate in working to resolve the issue then you can volunteer with those and and volunteering for a sig this is something that I actually did and and I listened to what you and Christian and the boys say and and I volunteered to help do um a call to papers review. I'm gonna read the journal articles anyways. I'm I'm going to attend Asha anyways, and that won't, you know, that will take a week of my time come next spring, but I made sure that. When I volunteered, it didn't conflict with anything else on my schedule and that I had time to dedicate to it, um, which is something that I've had to to learn. Um, Jessie Andrix with SLP Stress Management, she says you have your to do list and your must do list. And so I reassessed and I can fit that on a big picture to do list on a must do list at that one moment in time okay. and and there's um, you know there's there's different ad hoc committees that they pull together like if you asha has on their website uh, the outline of all of their like next several years worth of conventions. I mean we we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what COVID's gonna look like. We don't know if Asha's going to be in DC next November. But if they are and you live locally, you may want to volunteer because they're gonna need volunteers there locally um, to help when they have like the the tours. I love the Asha Pack and the Asha Foundation scholarship outings. Those are absolutely so much fun. Um, especially the ASHA foundation one also, um, um, one of, um, one of our dear friends, Logan was a recipient of the ASHA foundation award. So I know that it actually goes to help humans. It's not just like you donate your money, it goes nowhere, but like it, like straight up paid a bunch of her tuition and that's phenomenal. Um, and so, yes, I will gladly go out with another group of total stranger slps make make a buddy i just feel like you know dory right there like find your safety friend <laughs> and then like take on a, a new town that i may not have otherwise felt comfortable with going but that's me volunteering some time a little bit of money and having fun in the process because right yes making your voice heard is stressful and it's time consuming but You should also be able to have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. Okay. So on ASHA, they have some really cool tools. They have a ASHA leadership umbrella and embedded with that, they have the minority student leadership program. So if you are an slp they do have that. And it gives you the tools that you need and they teach you, how to professionally present your voice um such that um you can lead at a state and national level later on, which is awesome. But they also have classes that you can take. Um, you don't have to get into the LDP program. They bring the tools from the LDP program to you and you do it at like a self paced um way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um and i my biggest takeaway and what i learned from going through the leadership training is that i have to constantly self assess because i i do get i i do i get a notion in my head and i chase it down but i have to know and recognize when to walk away and Is it the time to tackle this task now or do I need to reassess when I am less um, heated and in the moment? Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Because I get really passionate about a task, but it might not be the right time. Like, I really want communication boards at every single adaptable park across the nation. That's not too lofty of a goal, but like. I want that to happen. So I think we should make that mandatory at every state. Well, it can't start out at a state level, come to find out. You have to start out at a local level. Mm -hmm. So we're working on grants to see how we can make that happen. But how cool will it be that one day, maybe one day in five or ten years, every child that utilizes Alternate means of communication could access a, a communication board that's latex-free, that's at their height, and they could make a friend on the playground.
2: Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So, I want something to happen nationally, globally, but we got to start super small in the backyard. So, um literally going to try to start across the river. So, um Okay. All right. So what are your thoughts? What else, what else do we have here? Love?
2: Um, I'm trying to think. Of... Um, the emails,
0: the ASHA pack emails. That's a great way to when ASHA, um, they just sent one out yesterday. Was it yesterday on, um, Medicare, how they're trying to cut, Um, reimbursement rates for rehab again um, Mm -hmm. or telepractice reimbursement rates for Medicare. I can't remember what it was, but I skimmed it. I found it worthy in the moment that I was sipping coffee and um, you can just plug in your information and it automatically sent it to um, my house representative members, um, representative Clyburn. And it just went straight to his proverbial email inbox And that took me two minutes. I mean, I was gonna surf the internet anyways while I was having a couple minute coffee break. Bam, done. I've advocated. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. We've. This is something that. (sighs) Where we are in the world right now, we we need. We need strong leaders, um, especially within our profession, because SLPs were hit hard by this pandemic, and our patients were hit hard by this pandemic, and it's not done. And if you feel that your leadership did not um, represent your needs, whether that be your Um, local school board, your uh, department of ed, whether that be your um, uh, state association membership, if you weren't happy with position statements, um, if you felt that they were lacking merit for Black Lives Matter, then get your voice out there and be the source of change. Mm -hmm. Because we can do this, but we need we need volunteers that are patient because change happens slowly.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think and I don't know the best way to phrase this, but leadership comes in many different forms. And yes, ma'am. Don't feel that you have to be the loud leader or the leader that everyone knows or it it shouldn't be about that it should just be about enacting change and making a difference in a way that you are passionate about because i think that that will lead you to the most success um think about why you're doing something and what your what your goal is what importance it has for you because if you're doing something just because you think it's what you're supposed to be doing or because it will look good somewhere. That's I mean, we—I mean that we all do that absolutely, especially when you're in college and grad school, because that's how you get jobs and that's how you make connections and that's how you get noticed, and that's totally fine. But I think that it is really important to be passionate about. And sometimes the quiet leaders are the ones that make the biggest change and difference because they're impacting people in a different way and. And you said this to me a while back and that there's space, there is always space for everyone. There is room and we have to, I mean, I know there's men in the field, so I'm sorry if men are listening and, and don't feel that they're being heard, but it's, but especially as women, like we have to support each other. And if Don't feel like because someone is in one room, it means that there's not space for you or it might not be the right room for you either, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't just go out and do what you want to do and what's important to you and you'll find your space and you'll find where you fit. And if you don't fit there, Mm -hmm. Michelle and I tend to do this thing where we like force ourselves in and or find another <laughs> space that doesn't exist and carve it out for us. So that's also a possibility. Um, <laughs> that's because I'm so awkward. Oh, but I found myself in leadership positions just by presenting, just by identifying a Problem I don't there's a better word than problem and trying to provide a solution, and then all of a sudden, and this happens to you, Michelle, all the time, and all of a sudden you're in charge of fixing the problem and but which is identified, yes, but I think that that's where we find our leaders that really make a change is when they are passionate about a problem and they want to fix it so there's there's also something
0: one of my favorite parts of volunteering is being able to shine someone else's light so i love yes i'll see a problem i see a potential way to work to resolve the issue but i love um i love connecting people Mm-hmm. so that they can so that they can um have their light shown and take that leadership opportunity and and work the issue and I think that's beautiful um like we have one student who's setting up the aphasia research group i'm sorry aphasia support group, and she's doing a smashingly good job at it, and our other friend has mentored her. So then pay that forward. So I've asked her to mentor the student who's setting up the transgender support group so that the second you have the opportunity to lead, then you're mentoring the next person and you're mentoring the next generation because that's critical. Um, and and it does create more open doors and invites more people to the room it grows our pfd island baby we're not so solo anymore friend and that's a beautiful place to be so while i think the takeaway for me is while you're making your voice heard don't step on someone else's toes build each other up because at the end of the day We are healers and we're supposed to help these patients, their families on their journey. And if it means we have to advocate, then we got to advocate, but we also have to, It got to be kind. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll cuss like a sailor while I'm doing it, but we're going to get it done. Hopefully joyfully. Yay. Take
2: away final thoughts there, friend. I think, I think you got it.
1: <laughs> Ta-da! Okay, well then, I
0: wish you sunshine and um, vitamin D, and I'm, um y'all come join us on Thursday. Um, I think, um, I think the spot to register is in the, it's in the tree on Instagram. What's that thing called? The link tree. Link tree. There it is. There's a technical term. It's on the Instagram tree called Link Tree. See, I'm cool. I'm learning new, new terminology there. Oh, All right, yes. hold tight, friend. I'm going to switch over to questions. Hold on. <laughs> Feeding Matters guides system wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So, what is this alliance?